universal health care. When we all get there, you're all universally going to have nothing. That's a promise. So I am proud to stand against the will of the people who were lied to. All these other countries in the world that have universal health care, they have nothing. I think that their, their citizens would beg to differ. No, this just closes a gap. Right now, the marketplace starts having subsidies at a certain income level. But if you fall under that income level, but above the current income level for Medicaid, you don't have access to coverage. I'm Sarah Fetsky. This is St. Louis on the Air. Yesterday, the Missouri House of Representatives officially approved its version of a state budget. The $34.6 billion budget now goes to the Senate for its consideration. But there's one big problem with the budget in its current form. It does not include any funds for Medicaid expansion. That's despite state voters approving a constitutional amendment to expand Medicaid in Missouri. Here to explain what happened and what might happen next is State Representative Peter Meredith. He's a Democrat who represents a district in South St. Louis and also the ranking minority member on the Budget Committee. So, Representative Meredith, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So, voters approved Medicaid expansion last August. Did you anticipate a budget battle over whether to honor their wishes? You know, when when session started, I did not, especially after the governor came out uh, very clearly stating that he intended to go forward with exactly what voters demanded and, frankly, what's required by the Constitution now. Um, And the budget that he sent us uh, included funding for expansion. And we thought, okay, uh, looks like this is finally going to go forward. We did start to get clues uh, as the budget chairman started to signal in various ways that uh, that this fight was maybe not over yet, though. And sure enough, here we are. Hmm. So this funding was in the governor's budget. What happened to take it out? How does that work? (laughs) So the governor sends recommendations, essentially, of what the budget ought to be. And then the budget chairman has a whole lot of power in the House and files his own substitutes. So just replaces basically all of the governor's budget with his own. And that becomes the actual starting point for the process in the House. Hmm. When when Representative Smith, uh, Cody Smith, the chair of the budget, came out with his, He actually pulled expansion out of the main budget and put it in a separate budget bill, which is a a wonky but really odd move that we haven't really seen before. And it sort of signaled to us, oh, he wants to have them vote this down. And Mm -hmm. that's that's what they did this week. And so it's now in this separate budget bill. Is that separate budget bill that has this funding, is that dead in the House? It is. It was actually voted down last week in committee by the committee. So uh, and on, on complete party lines, um, they, they voted against funding it. Now, this week on the House floor, uh, Democrats tried repeatedly to put Medicaid funding back into the budget, right where the governor had put it, where mm-hmm. it belongs. Uh, and that was voted down each time. So now that this has been sent on to the Senate without this funding in there, what does that mean? Is the idea of expansion in Missouri dead in the water? Well, certainly not. Uh, First of all, the Senate will have a a chance of putting that funding back in. And honestly, there are a lot of Republican senators that seem to, to take the position of the governor of maybe even if they weren't advocating for expansion in the first place, they understand that it's the law of the land now. And they don't actually have the right not to fund it. Uh, They also recognize that this really isn't a controversial thing anymore. Uh, You know, 
its business leaders across the state. The Missouri Chamber of Commerce supported it. The entire healthcare industry, all of these healthcare workers that have been our front lines for the last year, support it. Uh, religious leaders across the state support it. And obviously the voters supported it. And it's in the Constitution. So I think they might put it back in. Now, even if they don't, there's a case to be made that the governor has to implement it anyway. And instead, the entire Medicaid program is just underfunded and he'll have to come back later to ask for more money. Okay, so this is not the end of the road here. And I want to talk to you a bit more about how this could play out in a moment. But you've just made a pretty good argument for why people should fund this. And you say you're hearing this from Republicans in the Senate. I want to address the argument of why uh, Republicans in the House say we shouldn't fund it. Here's what your colleague, State Representative Justin Hill, said in explaining why he supported removing the money for Medicaid expansion. I care about my constituents. Even though my constituents voted for this lie, I'm going to protect them from this lie that is an affordable way to give them health care. Because I know people back home can't see my air quotes, but health care is a right. No, it is not. Individual responsibility is your right. The government does not provide your health care. When we all get there, because that's the goal, that's what this really is about, universal health care, when we all get there, you're all universally going to have nothing. That's a promise. So I am proud to stand against the will of the people who were lied to. And that is Representative Justin Hill, a Republican from Lake St. Louis. Uh, Representative Peter Meredith, was that pretty much the gist of the argument from your GOP colleagues in the past week that the voters were lied to? It it really was. Honestly, I heard that on the floor and it got my blood boiling in a way that uh, was probably the height of emotion for the week. And I got up on the floor and, and responded to that, too. They seemed to think that voters were lied to somehow when, you know, Uh, the promise of expansion was always that this will actually save our state money in the long run and bring in more revenue for the state in the long run. And that's in part because the federal government is essentially covering the entire cost of the program. That remains true. But interestingly, you know, the the constitutional amendment on the ballot, it even said that the first year might include a fiscal note of state money of up to $200 million. And the governor's budget showed we don't even need that much. He says we only need 100, and that doesn't even factor in all of the savings that are estimated to happen. So, first of all, there was no big lie, but the people he's calling liars, like I said, are are across the political spectrum. Uh, and it's just incredibly frustrating to hear these complete lies about expansion uh, while then calling Missourians liars and, and fools. Uh, the fact is, it's in our Constitution. Voters said, this is what we want, and it's time we move forward. He, uh, Representative Hill, talked about how this is basically a Trojan horse to get to universal health care. I think it's worth clarifying what the Medicaid expansion would do here. This does not open this up for everybody here. These thresholds are are still pretty low. Oh, very low. And honestly, I mean, for for someone like me who's on the left of the political spectrum and would like to see universal health care, I mean, uh, the the way he characterized it says that what all these other countries in the world that have universal health care, they have nothing. I think that their their citizens would beg to differ. But aside from that, you know, this just closes a gap 
in this system that the ACA created, where states, it was up to states to close a gap. Right now, the marketplace starts having subsidies at a certain income level. But if you fall under that income level, but above the current income level for Medicaid, you don't have access to coverage. Hmm. And what expansion does is it expands who's eligible for Medicaid. So you're still talking about people making very, very little money a year. Uh, but they, they, they then have access to Medicaid until they make enough money to then qualify for a subsidy on the marketplace. So it actually, it really, most economists say it helps people get back to work and be able to rise in the workforce rather than right now, some people that have to basically remain unemployed in order to keep their health insurance. Hmm. When we talk about people making very little money uh, for 2020, this would be people with an annual income of $17,600 for an individual. You'd have to be at that or lower or roughly $36,000 for a family of four. So yeah, this is not something everyone is going to be signing up for. Oh, certainly not. And within the House, um, we obviously heard Representative Justin Hill seems to feel very strongly about this. Is this something where there's a few enthusiastic people leading the way and their colleagues feel like they have to go along with it because they don't want to be the person who saved this big government program? Or is there real enthusiasm for not funding this? I I think you do have some of both, honestly. I I think that the folks that are the more moderate ones on the subject uh, are staying pretty quiet and they feel a little trapped. And that's because, frankly, the way that our House system works the speaker and the budget chairman have an extraordinary amount of power. And when the budget chairman says to you, I'm taking $300 million of spending out of the governor's budget and going to pretend we don't have it right now, and I'm going to tell all of you all of these other priorities of yours, like expanding mental health uh, uh, opportunities and critical health centers or parents as teachers funding or things like that, they'll say, he says, we can only fund these if you vote against funding Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. Well, it may not be true by the numbers, but if he says it's true, it ultimately becomes true. And they and and he's able to hold those other priorities hostage. And so his members have to fall in line. Hmm. So there's some real pressure here. Governor Mike Parson, um, as you said, he was in favor of this. This was in his budget. He suggested yesterday um, that this isn't over yet. Do you think he'll be working behind the scenes to get the Senate to put this back in? You know, I sure hope so. I, I was disappointed. We heard very little from him in this process. But I think that may be because he's he's optimistic, as a lot of advocates seem to be, that the Senate will get this money back in. I've talked to some of the senators on the Republican side of the aisle that think that they're going to be able to pull this off. I, I'm a little nervous uh, that, that when these things become battles between the House and the Senate, I, I can't guarantee who's going to win. And that makes me nervous. But I hope he puts some weight behind doing it. And, and frankly, I think he recognizes even if we don't fund it, it has to go forward. As of July 1st, the people that are eligible under the Constitution are eligible for Medicaid. And if the money is not there, they're going to have to spend it out of the overall Medicaid funds. Hmm. And and he wants to make sure that we put the right funding there, especially the authority for all those federal dollars to come in and help pay for this. So this is a procedural question. If the Senate does put this funding back in and they approve a budget that it has it in, does it have to go back to the House then so that these two versions are in step? That's exactly right. So we go to a what's called conference committee usually and have to basically decide which differences we're going to take from each chamber. So then there will be a whole nother fight uh, between the House and the Senate of whose version do we take? Uh, particularly on expansion, but then making sure that we still provide the funding for all of these other important things that uh, the budget chair on the House side seems to want to take away if funding for expansion is included.
So what do you think the odds are at this point that this all ends up in litigation? <laughs> I, you know, I, I hate to put odds on it. Um, I, I sure hope we avoid that. Look, we've got a constitutional obligation. We all, we all swear an oath to the Constitution. I have to believe that will win out in this process. Um, if it ends up in litigation, that's not going to start till July 1st, and it's just going to delay access uh, for the 275,000 Missourians that are ready for affordable health care to the, the health care industry that needs that influx of dollars and to our economy that's waiting on, uh, you know, two and a half billion dollars to come in in the next year, uh, year alone. And then another two billion dollars every year from there on out. Every month we delay is, is, is frankly, our economy hurting and, and some people possibly dying because of lack of access to health care. One more question when it comes to the Republican arguments against funding this. Could one argue in good faith at this point that the state just doesn't have the money to fund this? No, no, absolutely not. The reality is, I mean, the governor's own budget showed we had the money to do that and all of these other things that uh, the budget chair is saying we can't do. But the fact of the matter is right now, we have more money than we have ever had in our state right now on Hmm. hand. We're sitting on seven and a half billion dollars when normally at this time of year, we might have three and a half billion. We have uh, already not spent in this budget. We've got $450 million in an enhanced FMAP fund, uh, federal matching funds for Medicaid that have come in from the federal government that we're not spending yet. We have half a billion dollars in uh, relief money. Uh, we have another $200 million sitting in another account that the governor said we ought to spend. We're leaving behind $300 million on the bottom line that we're not spending. And that's all with revenue, a billion dollars up this year from, compared to last year of just our own dollars. And, and Sarah, I'm not even talking about the, the influx of another 4 to $6 billion we're about to get from the American Rescue Plan that was just passed. So the reality is, even just from the funding for Medicaid expansion alone, that gives us an extra $2 billion for what they're claiming costs us $100 million. Hmm. We could cover that for 15 years without any impact on our state budget. And that's if we didn't see the cost savings and new revenue that every other state that has expanded has seen. So, no, there just is no good faith argument that we can't afford this right now. So we let our listeners know on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page that we were going to be talking to you today. And boy, they had a lot of thoughts. I think it's, it's <laughs> safe to say people are pretty wound up about this issue. I want to read, you a, <laughs> I want to read you a couple of these comments here. Uh, Brandon asks, why is the General Assembly so hostile to the desires of Missourians? In the last 10 years, they've altered or tried to overturn voters' passage of puppy mill legislation, minimum wage increase. They tried to pass right to work after voters rejected it defending Medicaid expansion now, what's with the hostility to Missouri voters? And Aurora writes along that same line. She writes, quote, the same people that voted these representatives in are the same people that voted for Medicaid expansion. They can trust their people's vote for getting them into office, but they can't believe the vote when it's for Medicaid expansion. Representative Meredith, that's something I wanted to ask you about. There is a Mm -hmm. lot of talk about how Missouri voters are conservative when it comes to their elected representatives Mm -hmm. and they're liberal on these ballot issues. What's your take on why that is? Well, it's it's complicated. You know, the way our political system works when we're electing people is we're electing a political party or we're electing a personality of who we like, who we trust, who we identify with. And so a lot of times, uh, while there are a whole lot of issues involved in a given election between two people, voters 
end up picking one or two issues that they vote on, uh, often social issues that drive them, or they vote based on an overall sense of a party. But they don't vote based on all of these other issues where they might have actually agreed with the other person running. Mm -hmm. That might be about labor rights, you know, opposing right to work in our state or raising the minimum wage or legalizing medical marijuana. Um, uh, All of these things uh, and Medicaid expansion, obviously, all of these things were things that the Republicans across the state pretty actively ran against, but voters overwhelmingly supported. Uh, what that says to me is those aren't the issues that drive their votes on those individuals. And that's disappointing because these are, of course, the things that end up mattering the most every day to Missourians. Mm-hmm. Well, State Representative Peter Meredith, well, we got a long thank road you ahead. so much for joining us today. That's and my pleasure. I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time we're going to talk about this not. issue. Yeah. <laughs> This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.